Hey, good morning. Good to be here. Always a privilege. Always a delight. Except for Bubba. Uh, sorry, man. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, so, I before I get into the passage today, I didn't have any jokes prepared, so hopefully something will come along eventually. I, I know we're supposed to spend some time in humor. But um, uh, before I get into the passage today, which is in Luke and part of this series, Real Jesus, Real People, I want to tell you about a real person. Um, I'll tell you about Jesus, and he's a real person too. Don't get me wrong. But um, if... Uh, how many here were in the Thursday night generous justice study? Raise your hands. There's Teresa back there. There's a bunch of us. Look at this. Rest of you, shame on you. Um, because you missed something. Now, I wouldn't say that those who were there would say that what they heard was a delight. But uh, I do think that it's something none of us will ever forget. And that is, um, we heard from a friend of ours... Uh, friend of Helen's and mine, named Jolie. And Jolie is uh, African. She's um, born and raised in the, uh, in the Congo, and um, she lives here in America now. She came here as a refugee. Her father was a Christian missionary in the Congo when she was growing up, and her family moved from town to town, part of her... Pro- Dad's gig was that they would go to a town for three years or whatever, a few years, and establish a work, and then they'd go to another town and establish another work, and and they would move around like that. Now, um, most of us don't know a whole lot about uh, Africa, about East Africa, but if you know much, you'll know, uh, probably remember the genocide that happened in Rwanda in the 90s, and that there were two tribal factions... Um, that were at odds with one another um, in that conflict. Um, and those two tribes exist also in the Congo. And Jolie was a member of one of those tribes. Uh, she was a member of the tribe that was uh, being persecuted. And because they moved around so much, uh, at the time when the troubles really began uh, in earnest there, uh, they were not living in an area where her tribe was dominant, and uh, she became, she was put in prison, a young person, uh, and put in prison, and she says, tortured in every way you can imagine, which we can't imagine. And she was starved. She said how, you know, medical science says we can't, lived more than about seven days without food. She lived 21 without food. Um, she lost everything. She lost everything. And not many of us can imagine losing everything. This is a real person, just like you, just like me, who lost everything in prison, tortured, starved, and eventually, when she got out of prison, landed in a different country, in a refugee camp. And through whatever machinations was uh, eventually able to come to the U.S. 
and she was brought here by a refugee agency, and, and uh, she ended up in a little apartment somewhere here in Phoenix, probably not the best one. Um, and she said that that experience of being in that little apartment when she first came to the U.S. was worse than prison. We think everybody's trying to die and to get in the U.S., but worse than being tortured in every way you can imagine because she was alone. She spoke several languages. She's a bright person, very (laughs) impressive person. Speaks several languages, but nobody in the apartment complex she lived in, nobody she ran into on the street spoke Congolese or Swahili or French or Arabic. Um, So she couldn't talk to anyone. And she was there alone. And she finally went to her caseworker and said, either get me a job or send me back. I'd rather die in Africa than sit in this apartment. Now, the story has an upside, which I will get to later, because now I'm going to get into our text. <laughs> wasn't meant to be humor. <clears throat> I'm just, it's just a little promise that I'm going to bring it back up, that's all. Uh, our text. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through wherever I get. Probably 21, I think, is where I cut it off. I I kept changing. So I'm just going to read through it. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Some manuscripts say 72, so your translation may say 72. It's, you know. Um, And others. He had already sent out the apostles, the 12, two by two, And now it says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. I'm going to skip down to verse 16. See, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, 
Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Lord God, I pray that you would, in fact, um, reveal to us what you have for us, what your message is in all of this for us. Um, God, we are your children. And um, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you take delight in sharing them with us because you are our Father and we are your children. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus sends the 70. We're going to look at three aspects of this, uh, that he calls them, that he prepares them, and that he sends them. Those three things. And then we'll see what the results are. Uh, So first, he calls them. They're called and commissioned. Now, this wasn't their idea. They didn't come up to him and say, hey, wouldn't it be great if, if we like went out and did this stuff? No, his idea, not theirs. He calls. Many of us have the feeling, I ought to be, I ought to, I ought to, I ought to. Has he called you? He calls. Not our idea. Maybe you ought to ask others. I mean, if, if, if you think God's calling you to something, maybe a good idea would be to see, first of all, is it Jesus or me? And then ask some others what, what their opinion is, others who know him. Um, because it's him who calls. We can go off wild, but he's the one who calls. And he prepares. These uh, 70 are probably a part of that 120 that that we hear about uh, after Christ was crucified. They were all together, 120 of them. And uh, so the 70 plus the 12 and some others were probably that group. Maybe some of the 70 weren't in that group. I don't know, you know. It's not specified, but what the, you know, it, we always have this picture of just 12 guys following Jesus around, but there were a lot of disciples. The 12 he, he dealt with on a very specific level, very personal level, but he had lots of disciples, and at least at the time of the crucifixion, about 120 people, if nothing else, and he had these 70 who had been with him and listening to his teaching and uh, seen the miracles they had been un- undergoing training. They had learned. They had been prepared. They had sacrificed. They, they had left home and, and, and they were following him around, maybe left jobs. We know that Jesus often slept in the outdoors, didn't have a place to stay. They, they, so they were open to exposure, hunger maybe sometimes. They had sacrificed. Sacrificed appropriately uh, to be qualified for the work. Um, and he gives them very specific instructions. Say, greet no one along the road, things like that. Why does he say that? Greet no one along the road. Well, if the king gives you a proclamation to take to some other town, says, go and proclaim my, my will to this other town, you don't go out of the castle and stop at Starbucks. You go to the town and you proclaim and you turn right around and you come back and you say, King, I did it. 
And he says, very good, you may go, and then you go have some coffee. <laughs> That's how it works. Because it's about the message. It's not about you. And he says, eat what you are given. Why does he, why does he harp on that? He says it twice, in fact, in the passage. Eat whatever you're given. Why is that such a thing? Well, um, read up a little bit. I actually studied on this one. Uh, and what I found out was it, uh, the Jewish rabbis at the time were so uh, obsessive about the law and about getting everything right and what they could do and what they couldn't do, what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, that even people who were hospitable, when a visiting rabbi came into town, even people that were hospitable and would be likely to invite strangers in, didn't want these guys. Because like, well, how do I know if I've got it all right, you know? Maybe I'm going to cook a stew. They don't like stew. Who knows? Not stew. But... Um, thank you. Uh, so... Again, it's not about you. It's not about your little deal. It's not even about all the rules and regulations. It's about the message I'm sending you to bring. I'm calling you to bring a message. I've prepared you to bring a message. Go do it. Don't let a bunch of stuff hang you up. So they're sent out. And he's, he's again, the specific instructions about how to proceed two by two. Why two by two? Well, I came up with three things. When you go two by two... Uh, first of all, in that culture, every fact must be established by at least two witnesses. That's in the Bible somewhere. And uh, so if, if you go into a town, you say, hey, this guy named Jesus, he's down the road, he's coming here. I've seen it. It's amazing. You know, he's going to tell you all kinds of stuff. And if you don't trust my witness, well, I, I, this guy saw him too. This guy has also heard all this guy. So you got two witnesses, so it's a fact. So they can trust it. But also, when you have two people, you have some comfort. You have someone to, to help you, you, to lift you up when you fall. To, 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 you know, even in the garden, Adam had everything, and yet God said it's not good for the man to be alone. He had to have another person. We're, we're made for relationship. So, so going two by two means you have a pal. You have someone to lean on. You have, and the other side of that coin is you have a different opinion to deal with, not just yours. You have someone saying, oh, wait a minute, I don't quite agree <laughs> with what you said there. And, or, you know, hey, let's go over here. Well, you know, uh, maybe... And you have to negotiate, and you have to learn to get along and to be harmonious and all that. That's healthy. So that's all wrapped into the two-by-two. Two. And he says he sent, sends them as sheep among wolves. Well, sheep are apparently defenseless. When a wolf sees them, he knows not in no claws. they got nothing going at all, you know. I can get these guys. He sends them out without sandals. I, you know, he told the apostles when he sent them out, the 12, don't take a sword. I don't know if these guys didn't have swords or what. doesn't mention it. But, but don't take sandals. Don't even, you know, don't pack a bag. Just go. Be completely dependent on my provision for you, and go. And bring peace with you, and some are going to accept, and some are going to reject. That's just the way it is. Some are going to accept. It's not, 
Your job is to go and preach. Their job is to receive it or not receive it. It's not up to you. You've done your work if you do the preaching. He calls them to go and take the good news of the kingdom to these places. And he's prepared them. He's given them very specific instructions. And he sends them out. And so all three of those. Now the result is interesting. The result, all of them came back. Doesn't say anybody was missing. Nobody got eaten by a wolf. They all came back. And they were very excited. Very it says they were full of joy. They had success. Now, I got to think somebody said, hey, no, no, sorry, we gave it the office or something. Somebody probably gave them a little pushback. But apparently that's not worth considering because there was, they had success and, they, and that gave them joy. When we do what God has called us to do, we have joy. And even if, even if, we, I mean, if we tell someone about the Lord and they don't accept it, there's still an incredible feeling that you have that you've done the right thing. That you've, I mean, it, it's exciting to share what you believe. And um, so they came back all jazzed. And, um, and Jesus reminds them that their, that their success was because of his power, that he had empowered them and that he had power over everything. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. What a wild picture that is. That's so cinematic to me. It's to think of Jesus there, bam, and then Satan's going down, and it's CGI. I just think it's very cool. But what he's saying is, no, the, the, the demons can't withstand my power. Satan fell. I was still there. Okay, so given that, I want to get back to my friend Jolie. So Jolie is in her apartment and she can't stand it. She's, she's in despair, depressed. This, this young, traumatized woman who has lost everything and been sent to another culture, another country, another side of the world. So she goes to her... Um, Caseworker says, give me a job or get me out of here, one or the other. And so the caseworker's like, oh, no, you don't need to do it. Get me out of here. I, I need a job. Just put me to work. So she starts working at a hotel, just totally overjoyed. She could say good morning to people. She could, she, I, she said, even if they didn't understand what I was saying, I was talking, you know. <laughs> She's out. She's doing has this job. She's starting to make some money, you know, to be able to pay her rent and all that. She feels good about that. And then she realizes Phoenix is not a great place to get around to a job if you don't have a car. You could take three hours on the bus to get from here to Mesa. So I need a car. What do I do? I get a second job. So now she's working two full-time jobs to save up for a car. But the work isn't that fulfilling, and, and she, she doesn't see herself as someone who's going to work in a hotel the rest of her life. And what she had d dreamed of as a child was to be a doctor. And now she's lost a lot of years here, but um, she decides she's going to go to school and, 
maybe become a nurse or something. Just get her medical education. So she signs up at Phoenix College full-time. Two full-time jobs, full-time caseload at uh, Phoenix College classload. She said she was sleeping about three or four hours a night and doing that for years. But she did get her nursing degree and began to, you know, work in that field. And she liked it, but she began to feel in her heart the call to serve not just anyone, but rather people who had experienced what she had experienced. She felt a call to work with refugees who had, who had also lost everything, Some people who could relate, that she could relate to, whose experience she understood, and she felt like she had something to give. And so, so she got herself into a place where she could work with refugees, and because she had this language, you know, Congolese, Swahili, all that, she was working with Africans, and guess what? Most of them were from that other tribe. So now she's faced with the people who killed more than half my siblings, who took everything I had, who tortured me, held me prisoner, starved me. These people, I'm now going to help. But she had also been raised a believer, trained by her father, prepared in the gospel, and she knew the uncomfortable little fact that you're supposed to love your enemies. And so she began to serve these people. And, and part of that was that early training, and part of that was simply because the experience of having been tortured in every way you can imagine, the experience of losing everything, the experience she had been through that she knew these people had been through, she could see that in them. She could see that trauma. She could see that, and, and she saw that before she saw ethnicity and enemy. Because what she had been prepared for gave her the eyes and the power to see what she needed to see for that for which she was being called. Now, one of her clients, a man from the other tribe, uh, had serious mental issues. She, she liked working with those who had mental issues that were really at the bottom of the heap. And one of her clients, serious mental issues, one day he takes off, disappears. No one knows where he is. And the, and the guy's mother is distraught. She's beside herself. My son, he can't deal with life. He can't be out there. Who knows where he is? Who knows what's happening to him? He, he's not prepared for this. He's, and jo, she goes to Jolie, please help find my son. I, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm desperate here. And Jolie, okay, all right. She makes up a bunch of flyers, puts them all over the place, and she gets on her Facebook page. If anybody has seen this guy, help me. I'm looking for this person. He, he really needs, you know, help. And she starts to hear from friends of hers on Facebook, they message her, are you okay? Are you out of your mind? This guy killed your 
family. This guy is the enemy. This guy is from the other tribe. Are you crazy? What are you doing? Who cares what happens to him? But she did because she saw what God saw in him. She saw because of the preparation that she'd had, she saw what was there below the surface, not on the surface. When the man was found, his mother became a believer, gave her life to Christ. Jolie didn't set out to evangelize a woman. She didn't say, oh, there's this person. She doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to tell her about Jesus. She just answered the call of God according to the preparation that she'd been given. And she went out and did what she needed to do. And this woman came to Christ. And the angels rejoice in heaven over one. Just one. So here's what I think. I'm no theologian, so I'm just going to tell you what I think. This is what I get out of it. I really believe that God calls people. He calls specific people to specific tasks. I'm going out on a limb, and Stu's going to take me to task on this, but um, I don't think there's... It's certainly not very many instances in Scripture where someone goes and does something for God that he hasn't been called to do. You know, Jonah was called, and he was aware of it. He knew it was God calling him. Moses was called. He knew. Paul knew he was called, and by whom he was called. And the 70, Jesus is standing right there. There's no doubt. Hey, guys. Okay, I'm called by Jesus. So you are called. If you are a believer, you're called. He's called you. He's called you into his family. He's also called you to some basic things, to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God, to love your enemies. That's all right there. You can read it. The books are back there. You have free ones. Pick them up on your way out. Um, all that you're called to today. And every moment that you spend walking alongside him is preparing you. Every moment you spend here, every moment you spend in this place, or among this body, or among other believers who are growing in Christ and studying his word. And if you're not called, if you haven't been called, then I'll say this to you. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and will open that door, I will come in. And I will dine with him. So if you're sitting there saying, wow, this has never happened to me. I never met God. I don't know Jesus. I, 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 um, I, don't, know, I don't know this. I don't know that I'm called. Maybe I'm not called. Who knows? Hey, you wouldn't be thinking that if there wasn't a knock. That's a knock. So my suggestion, open the door, let him in, have a little dinner, talk it over. 
I really believe God calls people and he calls them to specific tasks and he prepares them. I think he prepares us all. He gifts us inherently. We have gifts. My grandson could throw a ball straight and far at two. He's naturally athletic. And he he prepares us through experience. He puts us through things. We walk through things. We, We seem to stumble into them. But it's all God preparing us. Did you have a bad childhood? Guess what? You didn't have a worse one than Jolie. Did you have a bad childhood? You're prepared for something. Did you find yourself in jail? You're prepared for something. Ever had a friend turn on you? That prepares you for something. Prepares you to help someone else with something. And if you're not prepared, or you don't feel adequately prepared, then certainly you can study, read, be with his people, learn more. Because when you are prepared, God will send you. I, I, I fully believe God calls people to send them. He calls them, he prepares them, and he sends them to something. And if you, if you feel like God is calling you to something, then you're probably ready. If you truly know, God is calling me to this, I feel it. And others around you say, yeah, I can see that then you're probably ready. You probably have the preparation you need. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not fully yet. Maybe, there, maybe in going into that thing you're sent to, you will learn more that makes you even better at whatever it is you're sent to. But, but you're ready to go, or, or, or God wouldn't be calling you and sending you. Um, we at least know we're sent to love. We at least know we're sent to care for one another, to, to, to represent him in this earth. We know that. We're sent. He's already told us that. So why do I think that God does this? Why do I think that God um, prepares us? Why am I so sure of that? Um, that if you are called and if he's sending you to something, that you will be prepared for that which he's sending you. I I believe that because of the nature of God. Our God is a kind, loving, gracious Father. He's for us, not against us. He's not calling us... um, My dad was not a fun person, and uh, he would... He liked to give me things I couldn't do. It kind of pleased him to see me fail it's just his little gig um that's not god god is a kind gracious loving father he's for us he's not against us and god doesn't need us he's not calling us and sending us because he needs us we don't make him more by doing what we're doing or by answering the call He doesn't need us to fill a quota of good deeds that have to be done in order to make him glorious. He is glorious eternally, completely. 
his motivation in all creation and throughout history has been love. His motivation has been to create for himself a, a people that will share the joy that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why he created. And that's what he's doing with you. These opportunities he puts in front of you, that he calls you to and sends you to and prepares you for, are for your joy. He's sending you out like the 70, so you'll come back going, wow, he wants you to have joy. Mark, go ahead and put that up. When I teach my grandson, I do so because I love him. I don't need my grandson to play guitar. doesn't do much for me. I don't become a better guitar player because he can play guitar. It adds nothing to me to do that. I teach him. I train him. I prepare him because... I know that if he learns, he will experience some of the joy I have experienced in playing. It's that simple. He will know some of the joy that I feel when I play. He will bless others with that joy. God is not waiting impatiently for us to learn so that we can perform. He's sitting beside us. He's walking beside us, shaping us, sometimes through suffering. We all go through some suffering. And the, without fail, that suffering is God shaping you. He shapes us through challenges that he sends us. He, he shapes us through successes that we have. And he invites us into the work he's doing so that we can know the joy he knows. Simple as that. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you um, are a kind, loving, gracious, merciful Father who delights in us. Um, God, Give us that joy. Give us that joy in serving you. That um, inexpressible joy in, in pleasing you, in serving you, in walking alongside you, in, in speaking your words after you. Give us that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.